We all have a God story um, in our lives, uh, without exception, even um, you, we all have a God story. And at Mosaic, we share a lot of testimonies, and that's very, very intentional. And one of the things that we want to understand is that God is always doing something, and not just the pastor, not just the people who speak up here, but in all of our lives, there's a God story being formed. What's he doing now in yours? What's he forming now in your story? Over the the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing the story from each of our interns. And Grace will go and Dennis will go and they'll tell us about their God story, each and every one of them. And I look forward to hearing yours as I get to know each of you better. If you don't know who I am, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're here for the very first time, I just want to welcome all of you um, to our worship together. It's so great to worship with you. This thing is kind of far back. And so I'm going to move it up. Before um, I get into today's message, um, I want to kind of re-announce something very important. Um, Some of you, as you know, we at Mosaic, we're partnered together with Chode, who is our partner church, and uh, we do ministry together. We call it interdependence. Uh, We have a relationship where we depend on each other uh, for ministry and life. And um, today, I just want to re-announce to you that the senior pastor of Chode uh, will be transitioning out of Chode. His name is Pastor Jim Bob, if you don't know. Pastor Jim Bob is going to be transitioning out of Chode um, after Easter. And so I just want to call you to pray for him. He's going to be going to Korea and serve at Compassion, uh, which serves orphans and um, children. He's going to be going to, to serve there. And so I just want to ask you to call, call you to prayer for Pastor Jim Bob and his family and for Chode. Uh, pray for their transition, um, that there will be peace and provision in that time. Today we're going to be continuing in Jeremiah, um, but starting next week, we're going to take a three-week break from Jeremiah because we're going to be launching our community groups, and it's a big launch that uh, we're all going to be uh, focusing our energy and our attention on, and so for three weeks, we're going to be looking at community groups and what it means for you and me, but today, uh, we're going to jump ahead in our portion of Scripture to Jeremiah 13. We're going to jump 10 chapters. It's a long book, and so we won't be able to cover everything, but uh, we're going to be hitting some of the highlights of this book. And today we're going to be looking at Jeremiah in the loincloth. There's a lot that the Lord wants to speak to us about, but he mainly today wants to speak to us about our pride, about our pride. So let's pray. Father, we know that Jeremiah is a hard-hitting book. We know that it's not a book that pulls punches. And today we know that you want to punch And in one of our more sensitive areas, stubborn area, the area of pride. And so, Father, we come to you with hearts open, our hands. And even if we're not coming that way, I pray right now, in the next couple of seconds, open our hearts. Even if there are some people right now here and online who are not ready, hearts are still like this, like hard. Father, we pray next three, five, ten seconds, work on their soil so that the Word of God can find a place to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read the first two chapters of Jeremiah 13. I'm going to be unpacking it with you as we go. This is the Word of the Lord in Jeremiah 13, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to me, 
Go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist, and do not dip it in water. So I brought uh, I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord, and put it around my waist. The Lord here in our passage sends a visual aid to us to help us to address the issue of pride. Um, you know, in our lives, sometimes we need something to cut through the noise. Sometimes we need something to cut through because oftentimes we're not paying attention to the Word of God, and we need something to break the static of our lives to get the message. Sometimes the hardest things about my life are not the failures, but the things that I know what to do, and I still don't do them. Do you have things like that in your life? You know what to do, and you still don't do them. Those are the times that we need God to get our attention, and he does it here in this visual aid, the loincloth. He calls Jeremiah to go get a loincloth, which is a linen loincloth, and what it is, is really underwear. He calls him to go get underwear and to put this underwear on. Now, the reason for underwear here, he expresses in verse 11, what the meaning of this is. And if you look at verse 11, this is what God wants to convey through this underwear. In verse 11, it says, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord. He says, this is what I want to show them. This is not like loose underwear, but this is tight underwear. As it clings to the body of a man, I made you, brothers and sisters, he made you to cling to him. I want to show them that. So Jeremiah, go buy underwear. I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. The word cling here is that same word, In Genesis, man shall leave mother and father and cling to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, sometimes I feel like God asks a lot of our relationship. God is a God who will not be an acquaintance with you. You ever get to that age past college where you're, you're, maybe you're a guy and and a girl says to you, look, I don't need more friends. Or a a guy says to a girl, look, I'm not looking to be friends. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this. If we're not, we're not. Sometimes God is like that. Because of his design for his people, he says, I made you to cling to me. That's what I want of our relationship. And that's why, Jeremiah, I want you to go get a loincloth that clings to you because I've made you for intimacy. I made you to be in that kind of relationship with me. But you ruined it. That's the hard-hitting word from Jeremiah today but you ruined it. And he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to go buy a loincloth and I want you to wear it, but I don't want you to wash it. Get underwear, but don't wash this underwear. He says this, do not dip it in water. I want your underwear to get stinky. I want your underwear to get spoiled. I want your underwear to get almost unbearable. And I don't want you to wash your underwear. And I want you to keep wearing it because I want it to be a piece of clothing that you can't stand. He's starting to show what happened to that intimate relationship that he wanted of us. He said, I wanted you to be close like that with me, but then it started to get ruined. 
But that wasn't bad enough. God wanted to take this to the extreme to really help us to understand what happened to our relationship, us and God. And so this is what he does. He comes around to Jeremiah again in verse 3, and this is what he says. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist and probably now smells really bad, and arise, go to the Euphrates and hide it there in the cleft of a rock. And so I went and I hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. And I went to the Euphrates and dug. And I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. God says, it's not enough that you have stinky underwear. I want you to go all the way to the Euphrates River, which is very far from Israel. It's a weird place for him to ask to go hide this underwear because if God simply just wanted the loincloth to be spoiled, he could have chosen any body of water in Israel. He says, I want you to travel all the way to the Euphrates. Now, there's a reason for that. God always has a message to convey, and this is what he wanted to convey. You see, the Euphrates River is actually in Babylon. It's in the place where God is going to send the people of God to a place of exile. And he says, I want you to go and find a cleft of a rock near where there's the Euphrates River and hide it under the cleft of a rock in Babylon. You see, God is foreboding what's coming to them. He is looking forward to how he is going to discipline the people of God. He's going to send the people of God to Babylon for 70 years. He's going to bury his own people in Babylon for 70 years in Babylon. And in the same way, he calls Jeremiah to take this underwear, stained and spoiled, and to go put it under a cleft of a rock and let it spoil there. And after many days, Jeremiah went to go find it and he said, I couldn't believe it. It was so spoiled, good for nothing. Now, there's a reason that God has Jeremiah do this. There's a reason why he has him do this instead of just tell people, you ruined our relationship. There's a reason because object lessons are very important. Object lessons get our attention when we need it. I remember in high school, they were teaching us about drunk driving and teaching us how dangerous it is, but... When you're 16, 17 years old, you don't really think about that. You don't believe it. And so one day they brought a wrecked car that was just like an accordion smashed in into our gym and showed us, I know you guys are not listening to me, but this is what happens when you drive drunk. I still remember that. I don't remember any of the words our health teacher said to us, our principal, or any of the assemblies that we went to, but I remember that wrecked car. And God wants to talk to you about your pride. And he's saying, I know you are not paying attention. And I know that the message is not getting through. And so, Jeremiah, I want you to show them your underwear, spoiled and rotten. Now, it's not an object lesson if I just tell you about it. So, I brought my underwear. And I want to show you my underwear. This is actually my underwear. I did not buy this underwear for this illustration. This is really my underwear. You can ask my wife. (laughs) This is my underwear. I actually wore it for many days, and I didn't wash it. 
I'm sorry for the people in the front row, but this is actually my underwear, mine. Now, this is not all me, lest you think, like, he is a crazy, dangerous, <laughs> like, he's so dirty. This, I didn't do all this from my own body. I took it outside, and I exposed it to the elements, um, as Jeremiah was called to do, and I made it dirty. Now, I didn't leave it there for many, many days. I only let, left it there for a little bit, and I, yeah, I, I did some stuff to it. But this is my stained underwear. Now, what you're feeling right now is a little bit of what Jeremiah wanted the people of God to feel. You're probably feeling a little bit disgusted. You're probably feeling a little awkward that your pastor is showing you his underwear. (laughs) And you're probably feeling like, oh, this is a little bit borderline of what he should be doing as a pastor. Should he be showing us his underwear? Is that appropriate? A little bit awkward, right? This is my actual underwear. I wore this. But that feeling that you are feeling right now a little bit is what God wanted his people to understand about how he feels. He said, you see, I made you to cling to me. I made you to be intimate with me. But you went out and you became proud. And you went after other gods And you wanted to make a name for yourself and you wanted to leave me and you wanted to make yourself something and you left me and you're embarrassing to me. I'm embarrassed. (laughs) And that's the lesson and that's the feeling that God wants us to have. He feels brokenhearted. And he said, look, you and me, we were supposed to have this intimate relationship, and I was supposed to have you, it says in the passage, as my name, my glory, my people. I was supposed to be so proud of you. And we were supposed to love each other, you know. But look what you did. I'm so embarrassed. And that feeling is what God wants to connect with your pride. You see, we're so proud of our pride. We use it to cover up so many things. But God wants you to say, it's shameful. And this object lesson, I want you to connect that feeling to your pride. When you say, I can do my life by myself. I can do this on my own. I'm a better God of my life than he is. He wants to connect this feeling with that and show you how ridiculous that is and how embarrassing it is that a people that he saved to be his own will say, no, 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 I can do my life on my own. He says it's embarrassing. I'll take it away from you guys. It's too close. I know. You should have heard how many times he may said to me, you're actually going to show them your underwear? It's gross. But that's the whole point. Read verse 8 with me. This is what God says. Then the word of the Lord came to me, says, Thus says the Lord, even so I will spoil the pride of Judah, the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, i got to show them, i got to have Dave show them his underwear. 
They refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them. They shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. You know, the thing about our pride is that it makes us less than who we meant to be. You see, when we go out and try to make a name for ourselves, and we could just take care of us, we don't really need God. We know he's there, but we don't really need him, do we? Like, let's say I stop being a Christian tomorrow. What difference would that? I could still take care of myself. That kind of feeling that we have is a shame. It's embarrassing because we were meant to be his people for his glory, calling out for the salvation and goodness of God. And we have made ourselves our own God. And he says, that's embarrassing. And you have made yourself worthless and useless now. You messed up who you were supposed to be. You know, Our pride ruins us. But the thing that I also want to tell you is that our pride blinds us. And that's what really makes pride really dangerous. It's probably the most devastating thing about pride is that it blinds us from seeing our sin and it blinds us from coming back to God. Even as you're hearing this sermon, some of you are thinking, you know, I wish my friend was here today because she's super proud. She really needs to hear this sermon. Or you're saying, oh, my brother, he should be here today. Or my church friend should be here today because he's very proud and they need to hear that. Even when God is trying to speak to you about your pride, your pride will not let it in. You're thinking, this guy's got to be here today. I'm going to show him this video. Our pride, brothers and sisters, it separates us from God. You know, it separates us from the God who has made us and saved us. And because of that, it's so dangerous. You're so content without him, and so you don't pray. You're so content without him, so you don't devote your life to him. You don't worship him. You have not really prayed, unless instructed to do so, months. You're separated from God because of your pride. And it's blinding. You see, this is how it works. Pride is so dangerous that it, it keeps you trapped in every other sin as well. You see, some of you have struggled with lust for a very long time. And you know that the way you get out of lust is you begin to bring it out of the darkness and bring it into the light. You confess it to someone. You get held accountable and you start to get healed from that lust. And maybe you're very close to bringing it into the light. And then what happens? Your pride steps in and says what? Are you stupid? If you tell somebody that you watch pornography, if you tell people that you've been sleeping around, if you tell people about your sexual morality, you know what they're going to think about you? You know how they're going to look at you? Sit down. You can't tell anybody about this. You're going to be a loser. And pride stamps out potential redemption for your lusts. You know that you're greedy. You know that you're not content with how much you have. In the back of your mind, you know that you'll never be content, no matter how much you have. And a part of you wants that contentment. Part of you wants that shalom and peace. 
And so you think about coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to be content. And then your pride steps in and he says, step, sit down. You're just going to be content with what you have. You don't want more. You're not going to strive to have more in your life. You're going to be a loser. Sit down. Pride stamps out chances for redemption and blinds us in our own sin. I think that's the most devastating thing about pride. God says that pride has kept you and me apart. Pride is blinding. And at the same time, we have all of these things that we have all these feelings of guilt because we still know that we're messed up inside. We have this divide between us and God and we're not going to come to him because our pride says don't do it. And what do we do? Say, well, at least my career is going really well. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm clean because my, at least my job's going really well. It's okay. It's okay. You know that you're so broken inside, but you say, but you know what? Lots of people like me. So, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm clean. Because a lot of people like me and they laugh when I'm around. Say, I know that I never pray and I don't have a real relationship with God, but it's okay, it's okay. I'm a really good mom. I'm a really good dad. I play with my kids. I'm there for them. I help them with their homework. I paid for their college. I made sure that they're financially stable. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I'm clean. And what we do is we take all of our robes of righteousness, all of the things that we think make us clean, and we put it on top of dirty underwear, and we say, I know that I'm broken, but at least I'm clean because of my parenting, because of my job. I'm a good pastor. Mosaic likes me. They call me Pastor Dave. So I'm clean. God says, how long are you going to do this? It's embarrassing. Why don't you just come? Why don't you just get healed of your shame, of your pride? Because it's available to you. And you don't need to do that anymore. My brothers and sisters, this is what we've been doing. This is what Jeremiah wants to show his people. But I have good news for you, and that good news is this. God is coming for your pride, and he's coming to deal with it, and he's coming to make you clean. Read verse 8 and 9 with me again. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, Even so, I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. It's a play on words. The thing that spoiled their relationship. He says, I'm coming to spoil their pride. I'm going to ruin what ruined us. And I'm going to clean up our relationship. My brothers and sisters, it's good news. But here's the bad news. Mixed in. It's going to be messy. You know, what I'm about to present to you is not Christianity 101, in a sense. But if you want to get to Christianity 201... You've got to get this, okay? If you want to mature this year beyond, and you want to actually grow, you're going to need this. And this is the fact. Our pride is very rarely broken with just words. Many times, God has to discipline us because we're proud. Why does he have to do this? Why does he got to get Pastor David to stand up, show his underwear to people? 
Why is he doing this? Because we are hard-hearted, and oftentimes how God gets through to us in our pride is he disciplines us because he loves us. He's going to take Israel, and he's going to hide them under the cleft of a rock in Babylon because they refuse to hide under him the true rock of salvation. He's going to put them in Babylon for 70 years. You know, brothers and sisters, there's um, Tim Keller. He talks about um, his brother-in-law who never wore a seatbelt. And, you know, there was a time, many of you remember, when nobody really wore a seatbelt. Only kids did. And, uh, you know, before cars started screaming at you for wearing a seatbelt. And um, before then... Very few people did, and Keller tells about this story. His brother-in-law never wore a seatbelt. And then one day, and Ken, Keller used to tell him, you know, like, you know, you should wear your seatbelt in case you get an accident. Ah, I don't need a seatbelt. If you guys remember, Muhammad Ali says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Remember that? The stewardess says, Superman don't need no airplane. But um, he picks him up. Keller picks him up from the airport one day, his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law gets in the car, and he goes like this. Puts on a seatbelt right away. Keller says, why did you put on your seatbelt? He said, a close friend of mine got in a car accident. He went through the windshield. And ever since I saw that, I'll always wear a seatbelt. Keller was wondering, but you always knew. You always knew. Sometimes we need more to get through to us. And God is going to bring discipline to us to get our attention about pride because you still don't believe it. You still believe you're a better God than he is over your life. Sometimes he needs to bring discipline, brothers and sisters, into our lives to get our attention. You're going to have a seatbelt moment in your life. How you respond to that will be the defining moment of your spiritual maturity. But I do have good news. When that happens, my brothers and sisters, that will be grace. When he disciplines you, it's going to be love. We all want a spiritual growth that doesn't require discipline, right? Very few of us ever make it there. How we respond to his discipline is how we get to the next level of spiritual growth and intimacy with God. When you look at David and Saul as kings, what's the difference between them? Why did Saul hit the ceiling and lose the Spirit of God? And why is it that David went through and became the man after his own heart? It wasn't that one was a sinner and one was not. That one was proud and one was not. They were both sinners, both proud. And yet, there was this defining moment for Saul and defining moment for David when God came and brought discipline to them. And Saul, what did he do? When he was disciplined, he hid he made excuses. He blamed. He tried to figure out a way around. He thought he was going to be smart enough to work his way around the discipline of God and just make it through. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But for David, Nathan approaches him and says, you slept with Bathsheba. You abused your power. You knew you're not supposed to, but you were so proud and blind that you did it anyway. And that's the defining moment for David. When he goes in confession to God in that moment and doesn't protect himself, doesn't figure out a way around it, 
but he receives the discipline of God in that moment. That is his defining moment. You see, brothers and sisters, many people think that sin is the defining moment. If I sin, God's going to throw me away. It's the defining moment. It's not. The defining moment is what we do when God addresses us about our sin. Will we be humble and come to him in confession and receive his discipline, or will we harden our hearts and turn away? That will be the defining moment. And for David, that was the defining moment. Not when he slept with Bathsheba. That didn't define his life. But when Nathan came to him and he humbled himself before God, he said, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your abundant love. Have mercy upon me. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me clean. That was the defining moment when he came before God and received the discipline of the Lord. And the Lord put on him a robe of righteousness. And David knew, and here's what we need to know, that when God's discipline comes, that's not the end of him growing you. You see, it feels like it, right? When discipline comes, when hard things happen, and we feel like God is disciplining us, we we feel like, oh my gosh, this is the end. He's telling me I failed and it's over. And then we cower and we try to figure out a way around. But what David knew was this is actually the beginning of my new spiritual life. That's why he says, purge me with hyssop and restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You want to grow beyond where you are now? You have to know that when the discipline of the Lord comes to you because he's purging you of your pride and how you respond to his discipline is going to be your defining moment. Humble yourselves underneath the Lord when he comes to you because he gives grace to the humble. He will oppose the proud. And how we respond to his discipline makes all the difference. Let's go to him in prayer together. Hebrew says to us, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So today, Mosaic, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but go to him and receive.